gods have accomplished. So this evening, as always, we gather to worship our God, who is, is an incredible God. He's an awesome God, and He is faithful to meet us at our point of need, always. And so I invite you to let's stand and begin by thanking our God for all He's done in our life. Because you healed my heart, you 
change my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the Master. I thank the Savior. Oh, I thank God. Into the dark. 
Awesome and power, our God. 
So I throw up my hands 
I'm nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing
emergency last week. Fred took good care of you, I understand, and and we're going to be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 3 tonight. A couple of reminders. We had we had a great VBS teacher workers meeting last night. Um, we still could use, out of, out of 14 crews, we could still use one kindergarten teacher. So um, if God's putting it on your heart, and I hope he is, uh, we want to get you plugged in to be able to do that, and we'll get you the curriculum. We've got 120-plus kids already signed up for VBS. That's not going to happen until July, but they're all, they're all geared up for that. So I want to encourage you to think about um, just being able to do that. It's, a, it's our largest children's outreach that we have, and we're really super excited about being able to do that. Um, also, a couple other reminders that uh, I'm, I'm not sure, I can't remember if Tom mentioned it or not, but Father's Day is going to be different this year. So Father's Day is going to be at 10 o'clock, not here. It's going to be at Columbia View out on the river. It's at the park. So we're doing Father's Day in the park. It's 10 o'clock on a Sunday. We're going to be doing some worship, having coffee and donuts, and a picnic. So you want to, you want to come to church, picnic lunch, ready to go. We're going to have a, a bunch of activities and a bunch of uh, just a Father's Day in the park kind of thing. So that's going to be happening um, on Father's Day. The other thing that I want to let you know about, for those of you that have signed up or are thinking about Israel, you can still sign up and go to the Israel trip. We, we are encouraging you to do that. The, we're going to have some new flyers that come out. Because of the airfare and all of that, it's gone up. We had to negotiate and try to figure out how to keep the cost down. They wanted to raise it like 600 and some odd dollars per person. It's only going to go up $400, but we're changing our route. So we're actually going to fly into Tel Aviv and fly out of Tel Aviv, as opposed to flying into Jordan. But we're still doing the trip the same way. We're just getting there a little bit differently. But it was cheaper to do it this way. So we're going to do that, and we're actually going to stay the first night in Jericho. So hopefully the walls won't come tumbling down. That'll be good. But tonight we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, and picking up one of the things that, that Paul's wrestling with in his letter to the church of Ephesus, is this idea of division. If Satan can divide the church, will he win? Yeah, because it becomes infighting, and we get this infighting. And if you've ever been part of a, a church fight or a church split, it, it can get pretty ugly. And so Paul is dealing with this, this division that's wanting to happen between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul, he was really feeling like I need to, to come to you in humility, but also to teach unity within this, to bring the truth. And within this, he wants to teach God's grace. Paul understood what God's grace was. 
He was a persecutor above persecutors. He was a guy that was out to kill as many Christians as he, as he could because he thought that was the, the right thing to do. But what he didn't understand was God had a different plan for him. And it didn't change until Paul was brought face to face with Jesus, where Jesus on the Damascus Road would say, Paul, what are you doing? We need to have a conversation. And he did. He knocked him off his high horse and showed him the light and showed him the way within that. And so Paul would have to learn about the fact that his mission was now changed. Not to kill Christians, but his mission was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, as a Pharisee and a Jew, he hated the Gentiles. He thought they were dogs. And so he was extremely prejudiced against them. I love how God works. He will take, he will take you, and, and when he breaks you, he will put you in a position, often to the very place that you never want to go. And it's part of the continual humbling that Paul would experience within this. And so Paul's mission was to go to the Gentiles, to reach to them, that was a far off, and to him, he didn't get it at first. And as a Jew, he would know that all the other Jews wouldn't get it. But beyond that, the Gentiles didn't get it. Could you imagine growing up and, and seeing this divide, this animosity, and knowing that you're hated by a whole class of people? And having that hatred and that animosity continue on, even within your faith system and structure as a Christian. So Paul, in this chapter 3, and in this letter as a totality, he's, he's writing about the plan of salvation and unlocking this, this mystery, as we're going to see, this thing that was all part of God's plan that's now being revealed. You know what's the most amazing thing about God? He knows everything. And we're always coming to learn new things about God's plan. Just when you think you got God figured out, you don't. God is continually revealing His plan. For example, when we think about, you know, end times, rapture of the church, uh, all the tribulation period, what is heaven going to be like in all of these things, we think we got it, right? When we get there, it's going to be, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't get that. How did that work? And then trying to figure out these mysteries, these divine truths that are hidden in the heart and the mind of God that He reveals to us. And then you have the aha moment. Then you're like, wow, that's cool. Didn't see that. Paul in chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, was explaining about this division. In fact, he explains how there is this, this wall. Man doesn't understand that sin separates sinful man from God. There's a division. But they also applied the same thing to the Jews. In fact, so much so, in Jerusalem, in the temple... There was a courtyard specifically set up for the Jews, and there was a wall that divided. I'll give you the diagram here in this. So this is a model of what Herod's temple would have looked like. You have the Antonio Fortress here, and then you have the East Gate that comes up through here. And this is the court of the Gentiles, this big area. These are the southern steps. When we go to Israel, we're going to be there. It won't look like this. It's flat. It's all wiped out. The Dome of the Rock actually sits... Right about here. Some people think it sits here. It's just off kilter a little bit. At any rate, there is a wall that separates the court of the Gentiles and the holy place, the, the place of offering, and then the holy of holies that's in this. 
this court, as a Gentile, you can enter in and you could worship here, but you would never be able to worship here. It was set apart. In fact, there was a sign, and on that sign, it said in here, it, it said specifically, he who passes out, keep out, um, would be killed. It was a death penalty. Can you imagine coming up to a, a, a gate that's supposed to be a house of worship and says, you don't get to go in. And if you cross over here, you're going to be killed. You're going to be separated. And that would carry through the whole system, the sacrificial system. And it was this, this dividing. But in Christ, everything that was dividing man from God was removed. Can you think about the one thing that Jesus, that actually God did when Jesus died on the cross? What was removed when he died? It was the what? The veil of the temple. And it was torn from which way? Top to bottom. It was as if God reached down on this 18-inch thick veil and just went, nope, we're good. Now you have access. Why? Because Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, and it was our sins that separated us from God. So now, faith and trust in Him puts you into Christ, and you're no longer separated. Well, that was the first separation that was removed, but the second part of the separation was that there's no separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles... They really didn't have any hope. The Jews actually had kind of a hope, but through the sacrificial system. But in Christ, there is no separation between Jew and Gentile. There's no division between the two. And it was no longer needed because Jesus died for both. He died for the Jew and he died for the Gentile. And that there's no distinction in Christ. Nor is his grace come up short. Now, this is a divine revelation, but the amazing thing is God planned this before creation. God had this plan. He, he is sovereign and he sees all of this. And Paul is trying to express this plan in this letter so that those that are in Ephesus would understand this. The Judaizers that were coming in, and mind you, Paul had been in Ephesus for two years teaching every day. And those that were the Judaizers were coming in and they're saying, look, if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be holy, Ephesians, you've got to become a Jew. It's not enough to be a Christian, you've got to become a Jew. And you've got to be circumcised. And they were adding to it. And Paul is pushing back on this. And so what is he doing? He's explaining this mystery that is mind-blowing. As I was studying for this and, and going over my notes today and thinking about this, I can't help but think about the mystery of salvation. The mystery of salvation. How can God take someone who is just a sinner and through the death of, of His Son, save you? It, that, that act of grace and that act of love is just amazing. But how does it happen? How does a person born again? I can tell you theologically. I can point to it biblically. But I can't explain it transformationally. It is something that is hidden in, in, in God that is so amazing that when someone is transformed and, and gone from death to life and they have this new life and the Spirit of God is working... I totally can't explain it in a manner that 
gives it due justice. Paul's going to explain this mystery of grace as best as he can. But this is one of those things that we have to hold gently and with great respect because we're, we're really treading on the holy and making sure that we understand these things. So he starts out with verse 1 of, of chapter 3. And, and Paul does something very Pauline. He starts and he makes a statement and then he breaks off from 2 to 12 and then he comes back to it in, in 14 and the rest of the chapter. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now he starts out there and he says, For this reason. For what reason? God's divine mystery being revealed within this. Paul begins with this and Within this, for this reason, he starts out to give this explanation that is here in this. And he's going to continue the thought, for this reason. If you look down at verse 14, he starts out with the same phrase, for this reason. But he, he inserts, what is the reason? What is the reason for this? It's Paul's prayer that the whole body is unified. That they're all unified in Christ. That they're built together. Jew and Gentile into one dwelling place. Could you imagine, can you imagine for a moment, what it would be like if the body of Christ functioned in unity? And I'm talking about Big C, the church. And we might have our different flavors of worship styles or teaching styles, but what would it be like if the whole body of Christ worshipped together and was in unity? It would be an unstoppable force. People would break down the doors to get in. Why? Because they would want to be loved and belong. And they would understand these things. And Paul is, is explaining this mystery. For this reason, let me explain this mystery. That it's a spiritual mystery. Now he starts out and he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. Why? Because this is a Pauline epistle that he's writing from prison within this. And he is saying to them, look, at, I want you to, to come together. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, these four prison epistles, chained to a, a guard there in Rome. And within this, he is writing it because of his third missionary trip. He had been pulled out and arrested. And he wants them to understand, I can't be present with you, but I want to I encourage you. The danger for the church of Ephesus was that they were going to be ripped apart. And he didn't want that to happen. And so he wanted to encourage them that the ministry would take place, that they need to endure all these things. In fact, Paul even says in 2 Timothy 2.10, again, he says, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may also obtain a salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with the eternal glory. Question. Did Paul have to go to prison? If he stopped preaching the gospel, he could stay out of prison. If he stopped being on mission, he could stay out of prison. Did Paul have to go to prison? Yes. Why? Because he could not not tell the truth. He could not not share the gospel. He could not not display the fact that men are separated from God and, and that, that with that... Salvation is available to them all. Sometimes, speaking the truth will get you in trouble, will it not? 
Should you still speak the truth? Absolutely. And in this day and age where lies are flying all over the place and deceptions are all around us, we need to speak the truth. And we need to speak the truth because within that we, we are, as Paul would say, a prisoner to the truth. We are driven by the truth. Why? Because it's the truth that is going to give people eternal life. And, and you think about the persecution that Paul went through for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of these Gentiles. He loved people. He loved them. What a turnaround. He hated Christians. Now he loves them and wants everyone to come to Christ. And he's willing to die for it. And he's driven. So he's enduring all of these things as a prisoner of Christ. Note, for the sake of you Gentiles within this. For the truth. Then he breaks off in 2 to 12. And he says, look at to my Ephesian brothers and my Ephesian sisters. You need to fully grasp what a great salvation that you have and what great grace has been given to you. Here's a challenge for you. Contemplate your salvation. Contemplate what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to. Really think about it. What you've been saved from and what you've been saved to. And... Who are you to deserve such a great salvation? That's grace. And so Paul begins to expound on this mystery and this ministry that he has to the Gentiles of a great grace. And he starts out, he says, if indeed you've heard first class uh, condition, meaning and you have heard. Why? Because I spent two years teaching it to you. So he's asking them, go back on the things that I've taught you. And move forward. If you have heard and you have, it's coming from a place of understanding and the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. When a person backslides, one of the dangers is they forget what God has done for them upon their salvation. They forget the value of it. They forget the transformation. They forget the person that poured their life into them in order to be saved. Do you know who led you to the Lord? Can you think about that person? Can you think about that person that, that has discipled you, put their life into you? You should be able to find someone. At least one. And you look at it and, and you can say, wow, they cared that much to share Jesus with me. We all have a stewardship. The word stewardship is, literally means this house administrator. If you're a Christian here tonight, you're a steward of grace. You say, well, Carrie, well, what do you mean? God's given you grace. And you are the manager of that grace, not to be contained, but to be given away. To be shared. Paul says, my role is a steward of grace. I, it's not my grace, it's God's grace. I'm just the manager of it. I'm the manager of this grace to be able to give this out, to be the administrator of it, to be able to bring this grace to who? The Gentiles who were so far off. They were hopeless. What does hopeless look like? 
Hopeless looks like the person that is houseless, that's strung out on drugs, that's suffering from a divorce, that has no reason to live, that's sitting in depression, that's sitting in a hospital because they attempted to take their life. Hopeless. And you have the grace of God that you can give to them that will give them hope. You're a steward of that. Where would you be tonight if no one ever shared that hope with you? You'd be back in that place. That place of desolation. Paul would say this in Colossians 1.25, Of this church, I was made a minister, literally servant, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your behalf. On me, for you. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God within this. This gift of grace, you are a steward. Paul says, I'm a steward, I'm an administrator. What does grace mean? Charis in Greek. It means unmerited favor. We all want grace. But when it comes to the other person, what do we want? Judgment. Right? We all want mercy, but when it comes to the other person, what do we want? Justice. I want grace. But I also need to give grace. This unmerited favor. God gave us grace and we are the steward of that grace. And He declares it. I came to you. Out of all of the churches in Asia, Paul spent two years. Why? Because it was the pagan capital of Asia. There was so much idolatry. There, there was no hope, and he spent there, and he pleaded and pleaded, and, and things did get ugly for him. He viewed himself as the conduit of grace, the distributor, and, and that's what we are. We're not containers. We're not a Tupperware dish. We need to be a pipe. We're not meant to hold grace. We're meant to, to allow the grace of God. And you know what's amazing about this? Is when you let grace flow... You are blessed in the process of the grace flowing through you. You are completely blessed. And you're watching somebody light up. I love discipleship. I'm meeting with a number of different people to be able to walk through life with them. To give them grace and not judgment. To give them encouragement and guidance. Sometimes there's correction involved, but you can even be gracious in correction, can you not? And so Paul was saying, look, if this grace comes through me to you, I'm a steward, I'm a manager of this to you. So don't go back and don't listen to these legalists. And allow this grace to flow through you. John 7 verse 38 says, Jesus speaking, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, torrents. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Let the grace flow and try not to grin about it. Let God's grace flow through you to other people and try not to smile. It won't work. When you see somebody light up, it is just amazing. When you see somebody come to faith, and I love new believers. I love when they come to faith and they're just like, I can't get enough. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Because they're getting it. And they're not in the darkness anymore. Verse 3. 
He goes on and he says, by the revelation, this grace is being given to me by the revelation. There was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote beforehand. There are three states of manner that in which Paul was entrusted with this this responsibility. One is revelation. This revelation really is the fact that it came to light. Paul was very learned. He was a Pharisee above Pharisees. He was the smartest guy in the room. But when it came to the grace of God and the, and the things of God, he was as dumb as a rock. Because he just didn't get it. And on the road to Damascus, he saw the revelation, literally, the illumination of Jesus. And the light came on. Can you remember when that happened for you? When the light came on? You should. And, and have you ever read Scripture where you were studying something and trying to understand and the light came on? It's like, I get it. I get it. Well, we've got to understand that revelation is not something that is human or natural. It's divine. You want to see the revelation of God? Sit and listen. Study God's Word. Be open. What was revealed? The mystery. The word mystery means mysterion. That which was hidden. It's important to read this because there's what's called a definite article in front of this. The mystery. Not a mystery. The mystery. And the mystery was that people other than Jews could be saved. People other than Jews can come to faith. It was something that was hidden. And again, it's one of those things. You think about that. Have you ever met somebody and you go, there is no way that person will ever come to faith? You look at them and you go, there is no way. That person is, is Satan incarnate. He is just not going to come to faith. And then when they do, you're like, oh my gosh. What happened? God's grace can transform the most wicked, vile person into understanding the grace of God and being saved. There is no one, no one beyond salvation. If you know people, pray for them. As long as they still have breath in their body, they have opportunity. And they could be the most wicked and vile. What I have learned is this. The people that are most against Christ, that are the most vocal and most against, are the most convicted and closest to the kingdom of God. They're kicking and screaming. The ones that worry about me are like, well, that's okay. You do your thing, I do my thing, we're good. Those are the ones that worry. So you know what I do with those people? I pray God convict them. Make them squirm. Make their sin become in front of them. Make them uncomfortable. Holy Spirit, be the hound of heaven and chase them down. And then you are there to encourage them and strengthen them because that's what you want to do. This revelation that Paul speaks of is spoken of here also in Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 27. He says this, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on my behalf his body which is in the church and filling up which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship of God bestowed on me in the benefit that he might fully carry out the preaching of the word we read part of that earlier. The mystery that was hidden in the past ages and generations. But now has been manifest to his saints. 
to whom God willed to make known, note, what the riches and the glory and the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the one thing that you pray for? It's the last line of that verse. It's the last line that says, Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. That's what they need to understand. Christ in you, the presence of Jesus Christ dwelling in you. That is a power that is just unbelievable. That transformative power within you. And Paul announces that this message, it came from God by divine inspiration. He wrote before, as he implied, of this mystery. And he's talking about what he wrote in 2.11 to 22. And he says, but when you read this, you can understand the mystery. There are also those people, besides the ones that you think they'll never be saved, but there are also those people that in their minds say to themselves, I can never be saved. Do you know those people? I can, I can never be forgiven. God will never forgive me. And they carry with them the guilt and the shame of sin. And in their mind, they're deceiving themselves, saying that my sin... My rebellion is greater than God's grace. My sin, my rebellion is greater than God's grace. Is that a truth or a lie? It's a lie. But it's a mystery to them because in their mind, they can't fathom how God could do this. But it's a mystery that is revealed in Scripture. How to understand, how to perceive, how to come to this idea of consciousness that I'm saved. Within this, I spoke with somebody about three months ago that is now with the Lord. That sat in this room, has been in church most of his life, that said to me, I don't know that God could ever forgive me. And you know what I love? He now is understanding, because I believe he's saved. And I believe he's, he's with the Lord right now. And this, that's one of those things, I wish I was there to see his eyes light up and to see, wow, that's amazing. God forgave me to be blessed that way. And so Paul writes of this personal insight. He says, my insight into the mystery of Christ, because Paul was that guy. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, in his mind, he thought, I can never be used. How is it that you, God, how are you going to use me? It was the key to Paul's humility. Because he would say, I am the least of all. In a few weeks, we're going to take a look at um, Paul's life within this. And spiritual resilience. And, and really, what kept Paul going? But I believe it was his salvation, his insight. The word insight in Greek literally means to run together, where everything comes together. The mystery is where everything comes together and it opens up. Literally, it means two rivers merging together to one big river, two tributaries within this. And it's a mystery that belongs to Christ. It's this revelation that's long hidden that's here. The Jews, in their mind, didn't have a clue how this was all going to work. They thought sacrificial system, 
Yahweh, priesthood, law. And that's the way it is. And then Jesus came and brought grace within this. That's why he says in verse 5, In other generations, which was not made known to the sons of men, as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and to the prophets, note the date of, in the Spirit. These other generations speaks of, of the previous generations. A generation is about 40 years. So we think about all the generations. The promise was given to Abraham that Abraham would be a seed and that Israel would be a blessing to all nations. But somewhere along the line, they got things screwed up. And they thought that they were the only ones. And they didn't even want to evangelize to the other nations. And they rejected the Christ. They rejected Jesus. But Paul says it's now been revealed. In other words, the timing is complete. So think about this for a moment. What in God's timing has yet to take place? A few events, right? Rapture of the church, the tribulation, the millennial reign, the white throne judgment, new heaven, new earth. Right? All studies on themselves. All still are going to Anybody here got it all figured out? Nope. Why? Because it's a mystery to this generation that has yet to be revealed. And I know a lot of guys, and I've studied a lot, and I, I think I've got a pretty good idea, but I'm treading on holy ground. And I hold it very loosely. And, and with that, I've I got to understand that God will reveal His truth when He reveals His truth. And I'm not going to die on those hills. What can I die on? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He came to earth. And He bore my sins on the cross. Rose again three days later. And anybody that puts their faith and trust in Him will be saved. And upon His ascension, He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within the church and the believers. And promises to take us home. What do I know? I know what I know right now. What do I know in the future? I got an idea, but you know what? I might be wrong. I hold it loosely. Because in time, it'll be revelation. Paul's writing to the Gentiles and says, this has been revealed. You are now in the church. You're part of it. And so in this, it's been revealed to whom? His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit and everything that pertains to Christ's coming and the unification of the church was written about. He says in verse 6, to be specific... The mystery, this thing that was hidden that is now revealed. Notice in verse 6, to be specific that the Gentiles are, present tense, fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through what? Through the gospel. Not through the law. Why is that important to the hearers? Because when we study the Bible, you've got to understand what are the hearers saying. Through the gospel. Because the hearers are being told, you have to obey the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the Pentateuch. And Paul's saying, no. You are equal in status with the Gentiles through the gospel, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified within that. And so you don't want to go back to the law. This first detail that he says the Gentiles are fellow heirs. 
within that. And he spoke of that in chapter 1, verse 11. That they were once outside of blessing, but now they're in being blessed. In chapter 3, verse 29, we'll read, And if you belong to Christ, and you do, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. You are not a second-class spiritual citizen. Do you get that? There is no second-class spiritual citizens. You are all co-heirs. Together. You are not less than. You will never be less than. The second detail that he says is this mystery is revealed positionally. Fellow members in the body. You are all equal with Israel. And have that spiritual inheritance. Now, that means community. I wish that churches could get this. We are, we are coming to a place in South Columbia County where the pastors of the local churches are all getting together second Tuesday? Second Tuesday. Third Tuesday. I don't know. Tom's, Tom's holding up fingers. I can't see it that far. Second Tuesday. The youth pastors are also getting together. And occasionally when the worship leaders feel like it because they're all emotional, they get together. We do Good Friday together. Father's Day, we're going to join Resonate. We're going to partner together and do Father's Day together with Resonate. Why? Well, they have their church. We have our church. Oh, no, 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 no. If you're in the body of Christ, you are one. And we want to encourage that sense of community. And we can differ on on some of, of the styles. But in the body of Christ, there is no difference in the essentials. We need to keep that true. The third detail of the mystery is we are fellow partakers of the promise. I often tell people as far as Christians, you better learn to get along here because you're going to live with each other for eternity. And it's a long time. And you don't get to hide. And I always, I always joke and I think, you know, God's got a sense of humor and He might put your mansion right next to your worst enemies. You don't have to live next to each other. The third detail is this idea that we're fellow partakers of the promise. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. What is the promise? The promise is blessing. The promise is life. Verse 7. Paul says, Of this promise, of this unity, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the work of His power. To me, verse 8, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, what? To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light the administration of the mystery which for all ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So the manifold wisdom, verse 10, of God might now be made known through the church and the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Paul just goes off and he gets so excited and he says, God gave me grace and i got to share it. It's this message. As a Christian, you should be so fired up about God's grace that you can't stay silent. Paul says, I was made a servant, diakonos, a minister. And within this position, 
while we look at as as ministers as a position of authority, Paul says, I'm the busboy. I'm the table waiter. My job is, is just to bring the gospel to you and serve it up for you, to prepare it for you, so that you'll be blessed within that. And we think about just that, that opportunity of blessing. And speaking with one of the people that does the cooking around here, it's a gift. But the individual said, I am blessed when I can come out and I can look at people fat and happy. That's what God wants to do. He wants to make you spiritually fat and happy. Do you give the gospel so that people are fat and happy spiritually? You, you, you work at it and you prepare it. He says, first though, note, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me. In other words, to the extent that you understand grace is going to be the extent that you can give it out. How you understand the grace gift that God has given to you would be the depth and the width and the breadth and the height of the grace that you can give to somebody else. So your vertical has got to be full before you can ever give anything out horizontally. You've got to receive from God fully before you can give out within this. And understand, Paul is very clear of the source. The source of grace is God. I can tell you this, if, if I had to give grace from me, no one would ever get it. But it's God. So I think about how God has given me grace and how God has loved me. Second, the source is according to the working of His power, which means the dunamis, the ability. You might say, God, I really don't like that person. But you've been so gracious to me, and, and I want to be gracious to them, but I'm really trying. You can stop right there. And you say, God, give me the power to be gracious to them. And then get yourself out of the way and let the grace of God flow through you. And you will be amazed. But you've got to die to self. I cannot manufacture the, the right kind of grace. But I can allow God's grace to flow through me and the gospel within that. You want to experience that? Go witnessing. In downtown Portland. Pack lunches. And go down to the parks where the houseless are. Go to Portland Rescue Mission. Go to the people that you say, well, I really don't want to go to those people because they need to get off their butt and start working. One of the greatest blessings we, we did in the past, and I would love to get back to doing it again, is on Sundays our life group used to make big tubs of soup and sandwiches and we'd take the families and we'd go under the bridge and we'd pass it out and do that. That's showing grace, not judgment. You say, well... What does it do for them? You're planting seeds of love. You're planting seeds of grace and encouragement. Paul understood the grace of God because he says in verse 8, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. To preach to Gentiles. What was he to preach to Gentiles? He, felt, he, he knew that he was the lowest. 
In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, It's a trustworthy statement deserving of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How does Paul view himself? Among whom I am the foremost of all. I am the greatest of sinners. And you're like, Paul, you wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You're St. Paul. Paul says, nope. This is one of those situations where we see the inside of Paul. Paul never got over the fact that he was a murderer of Christians. You say, well, he was forgiven. Yes. But in Paul's mind, the sin of his behavior, the guilt of his behavior, haunted him. But it was countered by the grace of God. He knew who he was positionally, but he struggled practically even to forgive himself. And so you see these statements that he makes. I'm the least of all. Why? Because I am so undeserving to do what I'm doing. But by God's grace, I'm doing it. And it kept him in that place. Paul never forgot the transformation. And he viewed himself in this low position. It was this grace that was given to him. This unmerited favor. The least of all to do what? To preach to Gentiles. To evangelize. To announce the good news. What did he give them? He gave them, note, the unfathomable riches of Christ. It means, that word unfathomable means it's something that can't be traced out. It's got no edges. The riches of Christ has no edges. You can't find borders for it. You cannot put God in a box. You can't put His riches in a box. You can't put His grace in a box. And Paul says, it's my job to preach that. The privilege to, to, to preach this untraceable riches. Literally, Paul says, it's my job to preach Christ because Jesus defies all logic. That's how big God is. That He cares about you. Defies all logic. The eternal God. The, the omnipresent God, the, the unfathomable God knows every hair that is upon your head. For some of you, it doesn't take much to count. He knows your innermost being. He knows your thoughts. He knows your needs. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. He knows your shortcomings. And He loves you. Paul says it's my job to bring to light the administration of the ministry for all ages that was hidden, but is now revealed to bring it to light. And you think about that impact to bring that truth, this administration, this mystery that was hidden, to bring it out. This manifold, the word manifold in verse 10 means multicolored. To me, they know the multicolored. We think about the rainbow. Right? We see the basic colors of the rainbow. But when you take a look at colors, there's colors and colors and colors and colors. I used to be an offset pressman. So um, before ministry, I, I did printing. And we had these books that were called Pantone colors. You, you, you might be familiar with Pantone colors. The book was like this big. 
And it would have like all of these shades. Hundreds and hundreds of shades of ink and colors that you would have. One of my jobs, one of our clients was Disneyland. Do you think Disney could pick a color that was in that book? No, some creative artist says, well, you know, that's a little bit too pink or that's a little bit too orange or a little bit. You need to put a little bit more of this. And I had to mix these colors and create like these new colors. And I had an artist that was there going "Uh, a little bit more of this and that. And I'm like, really? Pick a color. I think that's why when it comes to painting a house, I like one color. White. Make it all white. It's all good. When you'll say, what color do you want to paint the room? White. Why? Because I'm tired of color. But you look at, at how God does things, and it is so amazing. If you don't believe me, look at creation and the diversity of creation and how things are all put together and how unique and special everything is. This manifold wisdom of God that was hidden, this thing that we, that we will not get, how are you going to know? You'll never know. Here's one of those mind-blowing things. When you get to heaven, you're going to have some questions for God? I know I do. I'm going to have a lot of questions. And when I get there, I'm probably going to say, well, you know what? I got a bunch of questions, but it really doesn't matter anymore. Right? What do you think about that? We will spend all eternity, all eternity, learning new things about God. And learning new things about God's love for us. And learning more about His power. How do I know that? Because the angels have been doing it and are still doing it. Do you know the angels are learning on how, about God by watching you and how God interacts with you? And then God does something amazing with us and then the angels start worshiping all over again. It's going to be amazing when we get there. The manifold wisdom of God. And then the other things is like, and, and that word wisdom is Sophia, it's this, this, this intellect that's there. All the questions that we have concerning God, like I said, are not going to make any difference anymore because we have such a limited knowledge. A Gentile could be saved just like a Jew? How does that happen? A person could be born again? How does that happen? We can live for all eternity because we've been transformed by the power of God into a new body. And what is that new body going to look like? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, when we get there, we'll figure it out. God will reveal it. And it will be mind-blowing. And so Paul is trying to unveil to them how big God is that God can save you. How big God is that He could have everything in your life already mapped out and walk you through it and it all works out for His glory. And you're like, well, I don't get it. You don't have to. He's got it. He's got it. And so, it's this manifold wisdom. And I think it's important to understand that this revelation of the manifold wisdom has an audience. Do you know who the audience is? He says, through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Look at that. How is God displaying His manifold wisdom and to whom? Not rulers and authorities on this earth. 
through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What does that mean? That means the angels and the demons are learning about the wisdom of God through God's interaction in the church. You are teaching angels and demons about the attributes of God. So when God shows His grace to you, Satan goes, didn't see that one coming. And the angels are like, oh man, that was more than what we thought they deserved. And you're in that. This manifold wisdom that is being unveiled to the, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places on how God interacts with His people. Verse 11, within that. He says, this was in accordance to the eternal purpose. Eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confidence and access through faith in Him. In other words, everything funnels down the wisdom of God and salvation all through how He interacted with Jesus. Now, keep in mind, Paul's position is he's speaking as this, this prisoner in Jesus Christ, yet he is understanding that he's the steward of Jesus Christ, and he is to preach to the Gentiles all of these riches to bring to light everything about God, and according to what? God's eternal purpose. So what do I take from that? God's not surprised by anything. God is never surprised. He never went, oh, I've got to go to plan B. Oh, I've got to go to plan C. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, Satan got one up on me. God has this eternal purpose and this eternal plan. Question. How big is God? How knowledgeable is God? How powerful is God? How can God, who is omniscient, omnipotent, and eternal, be encapsulated by the wisdom of any created thing? He can't. But what He can do is He can reveal Himself through situations and people. And that's what He's doing. It's amazing to think about this. And so we get this little part of salvation. We get this little part of the gospel. But there's more to that in God's eternal purpose. What? That Jesus Christ would be Lord of all. And according to this, this, this plan towards to the purpose, that Jesus Christ would be Lord of all. If you remember, we've talked about this. What is the challenge? The challenge that started in eternity past with Satan was this. God, do you have the right to rule? That was the question. Because Satan challenged him and says, no, you don't have the right to rule. I do. And Satan defied him and took a third of the angels with him. And so God says, no, I'm going to answer that question. I do have the right to rule. And he's been demonstrating that all the way through. The creation of the earth, the creation of mankind... The, the tolerance of sin, the tolerance of the fall, the judgment of sin, the judgment of Satan, the end judgment, and the destruction of heaven and earth, all to come back to the same. God says, yes, I do have the right to rule. And He displays His sovereignty over all. 
Which leads to another question. God, do you have the right to save people that I don't think are worthy to be saved? The answer is what? Yes. Do we get it? No. But Jesus is the Messiah, and this is part of that. He is the Christ, in whom we have this boldness. Now we can say, verse 12, we have boldness and confidence to access through Jesus in faith to Him. So, you are part of God's plan. You are part of God's purpose. You are not an accident. You are not an oh by the way. You are not getting in by the seat of your pants. God foreordained you to be His kid and accepts you. It's amazing. So in this, we can have boldness to come to Him before His throne. We have boldness to speak freedom. We can speak freely to God through Jesus because of our faith in Christ. This word faith, pistis, it's this firm persuasion, fully convinced within this, to have access. Jesus in His priestly prayer in John 17, 20-21 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one. Notice the unity. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Again, demonstration of God's purpose and plan in unity. And part of that promise is those that are far off will be brought near. Chapter 2, verse 13 of Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 13, therefore, don't lose heart. One of the difficulties that was going on in the church of of Ephesus was Paul was in prison. Could you imagine your spiritual leader being thrown in prison that you're never going to see him again and for doing the right thing? And they're like, if Paul got thrown in prison, persecuted as a Christian, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should rethink this Christian thing. Paul says, don't lose heart in verse 13. Don't lose heart at my tribulation on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't be frustrated because I'm going through tribulation because I'm doing this on your behalf. Paul ends with his prayer. He started and then he deviated to talk theology. And now he comes back to the prayer. And verses uh, 14 on gives us this prayer. Notice this prayer. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is Paul's prayer. For whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. What is he praying? That he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory. I pray that you would be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in the inner man. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, would be able to comprehend with all the saints, unity, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can think, ask or think, according to the power and the works within us, to Him be the glory in the church, and to Him be the glory in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
Paul bows down in this act of worship. Paul is so cool. You've got to think about this. He's writing this letter in a Roman jail cell, chained to a pr- uh, prison guard. And he writes about the riches and the grace and the manifold and how God's using him and all of these things. And he gets through writing it and he goes, I've got to worship God. And he just goes into this worship prayer. He's like, I'm writing this to encourage you. And he's just like, ah, oh, i got to pray right now. And he just breaks into this prayer, this petition. And what is he praying? He's praying for grace to be upon the Ephesians, that their inner man would be strengthened, that their inner man would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. This outer man is decaying. This body is going to die, is it not? Every day, are you, are you decaying? You are the walking dead. You're zombies. You're just, that's the way it is. The body's going to go away. In the same way this body daily is decaying, the same way that the inner man is growing and being strengthened because of the Spirit that dwells in you. It sounds weird, but this body is going away, but the Spirit of man is growing in the inner man. And what Paul prays for, he's not praying for physical healing. He's praying for the inner man that would become stronger and stronger and stronger because of the Spirit that dwells within you. And that's his prayer for you. You should be growing. To what level? Four dimensions. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth. He uses the same language in Romans 8.39. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Multidimensional. What are you growing in? Love. You've received grace to be saved. Now grow in love. Grow in love and unity. That's Paul's prayer as he writes from the prison cell. And then he ends with worship. He ends with this praise. Now to him, God, who is able, dunamis, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask and think. There is no limit to God. No limits. He can do it all. To think or according to the power in his work. To him be the glory. Where? In the church. As the church is in Christ Jesus. To him be the glory. And that ultimately is how we'll end tonight. May God be glorified in us. In the church and in Christ. To whom? To all generations. Let's pray. God, I thank you. That you've given us. Your grace and your mercy. I thank you that you've given us this letter to Paul, to cause us to pause and to reflect. And as we've gone through this, may you go home tonight, may tomorrow you reread this and, and think about the grace that's been shown to you. God, we have such a great grace that we've been saved, we've been called, we are conduits of blessing to those that are the least and the lost and the marginalized. Lord, help us not to try to contain this grace, but be flowing with love and mercy towards others. And I would pray, God, if anyone here is struggling or watching online that is having a difficult time, may they realize that there is no one, no one, beyond the grace of God. It's there for your gift to receive. Because you've been saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Receive that gift tonight. 
We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.